Hello and welcome to When Will It End? It's a movie podcast. We watch a whole series of movies. We tell you, is they good movies? I got, I don't, whatever. Yeah, we tell you if it's a good movie. Yeah, it was a good. We seen we seen Shrek. We seen scary a... movie. We seen uh, Bad Boys. We seen Harold <laughs> Kumar. Seen them all, baby. Some of them were good. <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I gotta tell you, I think uh, I think the little peach we're talking about today is a real juicy one. <gasps> the juiciest peach. The juiciest peach. We're talking, of course, about the stylish late '90s techno dystopian, heavily fetishized violence movie in which. A man known as the Chosen One, who wears a leather duster, disrupts the plan of a secretive elite to control humanity and take his rightful place as the most powerful man in the world. I speak, of course, of 1998's Blade. Blade. So, well, who are we? I'm Josh. And I'm Charles. And what are we? what is this all? This is a podcast. We watch the movies. We, we watch tell the you, movies. is it a good movie? We watch French. Yeah. Is it a good one? I don't know. I, I guess we could just stick with that. Is it good? I don't agree with it, but if that's our mission statement now... Is it, is it good movies? Is it good movies? Is it good movies? We see yeah. them all. See them all. Is it good movies? I'm gonna go ahead and kick the door open on this one, much in the manner of one blade, or you're should gonna, I say Eric? You're gonna take up the blade. Is it funny? His name is Eric. Yeah, I like that. It's pretty cute. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Blade is a very good movie, and it is one of my friends. <laughs> this you consider this to be one of your friends? I've seen this movie so many times. Wow, I've never seen it. It was a staple. I think it's like a real TBS or TNT jammer. It was like one of those movies that was licensed heavily in the aughts that I just saw over and over again. Of course, you know it's it's a really gritty, violent, disturbing movie. Yeah, and it's really weird to watch it now. It, you know, it, 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 twenty-two years after its release, when Marvel has become a brand wow. when the yeah. comic book movie has become a staple to go back to like the, the gritty sub basement of this whole idea and see a movie that's this ugly and weird. And you know, the cyberpunk influences are really hard. Everyone's sexy listening to house music mm, when people yeah. are slashed and mutilated and burned. It looks agonizing. Uh, this movie is f- so far ahead of its time. I, it's to me, it's crazy to watch this. Knowing that it came out before the Matrix, yeah, that's that's wild. I, I have never heard anyone really reference the the Matrix and Blade together, but there's bullet dodging. There's, as you mentioned, leather dusters. There's a climactic scene where guys rush into a lobby to confront the main chosen one wearing a leather duster, who then yeah. mows them all down. But yeah, I, I, this movie is uh, it was it's surprising, especially coming out of scary movie. First of all, it's lovely just to be watching a movie again. I, I don't know. Watching five non-movies back to back to back to back is exhausting work. The, there was one thing I missed. There, there are no references to other movies in this, which I thought was a real shortcoming. <laughs> That's true. But I did laugh more in this than uh, in Scary Movie 5 and yeah. 4, I think. There, yeah, not in 4. This movie is, five, is anchored by a few crucial performances that I think for a genre movie are some of the finest examples of... I think Wesley Snipes is fantastic as Blade. Yeah. I think Stephen Dorff as Deacon Frost is one of my favorite villains ever. Yeah. His sullen, heroin-chic sexuality. Mm-hmm. The fact that at one point someone comes into a room where he's just sitting on the floor listening to house music on a Walkman. Yeah. With his... Staring at nothing. Yeah. That's like very relatable. <laughs> and I think Donnell Logue as the oafish first-in-command party boy is fucking delightful. Yeah. And you know me. I'm bad with names, but... Uh the the doctor that is bitten and then cures herself and Nebuchadnezzar uh, Wright 
Yeah. That's Dr. Karen Jensen. She's uh, fantastic. She was great. There's, there's so many places we could start with this movie. Yeah. Talking about. Hey, I got an idea. Where's that? How about the beginning? Oh, my God. Yeah. You think so? Yeah, I think so. So I want you, your first impressions of this movie. I mean, we talk a lot about, we're watching a franchise. We're talking about world building. You know, this is your first time watching it. What did you take away from your first viewing of Blade? Like the world that it's building. I think it it walks the line perfectly of being a standalone movie and a start to something bigger. We, 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 we uh, It's no surprise we record a lot in the same day. So sorry to keep mentioning uh, Mr. Carter. Oh, hold on. John Carter of Mars? The or, jumper, yeah. Or, yeah, as they would say in Big Martian jump. culture, Barsoom. <laughs> and I don't think I said Mars. Did I? No, you, I just said Carter. Well, you said of Mars, yeah. I, don't, I think you said of Mars. Uh, who can remember? We'll never know. We'll never Later know. on the editor, I'll make sure we all know. Okay. I'll interject. I'll just cut right here. John Carter of Mars? Yes, you speak of Confederate war veteran John Carter. We didn't mention it all for our discussion <laughs> of John Carter. I'm glad we brought it up right. again. He fought for slavery yeah. and then went to another planet to conquer it. Yep. That's not cool. Yeah, we were joking at the end of that. I was like, oh, I guess he's going to introduce slavery into uh, Barsoomian culture. Has anyone like said Barsoomian? This might be the first time ever. Wow, they did, certainly didn't say it in John Carter. Remember when John Carter kills uh, a, a thank, a thrank? A thrank, a thrak, Thars. a thark, a thern, a thern. It's a thern. You know what else? He kills a thern. Okay, sorry. If, if, I'm so sorry to everyone listening. We watched John Carter. We <laughs> it's watched, a big impact on our life. For a palate cleanser, we watched John Carter, which was sort of the like. I'm gonna have a quiet night at home. I'm gonna snort this ketamine. <laughs> um, it has consumed the whole show. Have we talked about it fast talk? 2012's. 2012's John Carter is maybe the most fascinating disaster ever made. I mean, um, yes, we've talked about fast dog yet. So in, in in the beginning of his time in Barsoom, or as we know it, the Red Planet Mars. Um, Stop calling it that. Excuse me, Barsoom. Thank you. John Carter, who of course is on Barsoom as a copy of his physical form on Earth, which is still in a cave with Brian Cranston. Right. Good movie. Who's dying. You should go that, see it. You, I want to see that little short film. <laughs> Brian Cranston He's dying as dying a Union a soldier. Cave. Why, I never. Um <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so he initially John Carter on Barsoom can't of course how how could we assume he'd understand the throaty dialect of the Thern, the like eight foot tall green tusked creatures. But he can't understand them. And then like what, thirty minutes into the movie or something, he goes, I can understand you. He goes, Bleh? Bleh? And then he understands. And that's it. It's really cool. They never explain why. Uh why did I start talking about that? You were saying uh, we're talking about the world building. Yeah, you were yeah, talking yeah. about okay. Yeah, okay. So yeah, so John uh John Carter like it was so obvious that it was setting up like it it could have done something so differently it could have split the one book up into three movies it could have like there was so much content in the first one it was bloated and all it looked like was a way to make more of these things well blade is a standalone honestly this could be it that would be fine yeah i don't need another one but i i'd like another one please yeah please i'd like another one please sir Fuck, I just did it again. What? I just took the gas out. Yeah, you gave it away. I just keep doing that. Why do I do that? Okay, so a little bit of background to this. The director of this movie is Stephen Norrington. Who's that? Stephen Norrington is an English filmmaker. He worked with Dick Smith, Rick Baker, and Stan Winston, doing a lot of like tech and effects and stuff. Cool. He's only made like four movies. Wow. Um, Wait, did he make the other two? No. Well, we'll get to that. He didn't. You know who made Blade 2? Guillermo del Toro. Oh my God! So uh, what? Are you fucking kidding me? Yikes! He oh, made Death Machine, no. which sounds. Oh, I've not seen. So Why Def, did you tell me that? Death Machine sounds sick. It's a 1994 British Japanese cyberpunk horror film oh, with yeah. Brad Dorif uh, and Rachel Weisz early in her career. Oh, wow. It's pretty crazy. Cool. Um, 
Yeah, so so Norrington had worked on Aliens hardware. Uh, you know, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, I think I was reading about him before we watched this, and yeah, I saw the hardware connection. Yeah, he was going to make Ghost Rider, didn't make Ghost Rider. Interesting guy. Again, he's made very. He made the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is a bummer. That's too bad. That movie was it's a bad. very bad movie. Yeah, and he made the Last Minute, which in between Blade and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which I have not mm. seen. That was it. That's it. So he's, wow, made, so he's made five movies. Gentleman killed Sorry, his career. F- let me do my math one more time. One, two. Three, Did he four. die? Four movies. No, I, I, I think he just. Uh, so like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was so bad, I can't even say it. No, he, according to his Wikipedia, he had other things. He was going to do a reboot of The Crow in 2008, but it was replaced in 2013, and then that whole that, that sort of fell apart. Um, so I don't know. I, I think people know. I'm just saying, watching this movie, it's beautifully shot. Yeah, there are so many. There are so many. You know, the, the 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 whole culture we live in now of like you know every frame of painting shit. Like, there's so many really beautiful images in this movie. Yeah, that that, that really hold to like a really classic maison scene kind of the mm. he, the rule of thirds shows up all over the place. Yeah, like I mean, again, after watching five scary movies where you could essentially shoot it on an iPhone, they, I think they shot the. That's why it was a twenty million dollar budget for five or yeah. whatever forty. Uh, because they, I think the cameras that we see them using were actually what they shot it on. Straight up camcorder. Yeah, yeah, and and this is gorgeous. It has that grit to it. Mm. It's a, it's a really it's like a a classic urban movie where the city is this sort of like bleak, weird wasteland. Sounds like 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 stage for all of the nightmarish violence that happens at night. I love all the cutscenes of the stop of of the uh, sped up film of the yeah. moon rising and then yeah, the, that was I didn't see that moon coming. Big old moon, fucking big old moon, big fucking moon. <sighs> Wow, there's, uh, th- yeah, it's, it's it's comforting, even though, as you said, it's ug- it's an ugly movie, it's a violent movie, it's really intense, but it's like, it's just comforting to be watching a movie again, um, after a, basically, a, so far a weekend of just strange oddities that are barely comprehensible as film. We were in the wastelands, and we've come yeah, home. Yeah, we've come home. I'm very, you, uh, wow, so I guess the gas is back in, because... Vroom, vroom. Well, no, that, baby. Because uh, now that I know that Del Toro, I, I might be asking. Who knows? Yeah, it's a huge question <laughs> mark fu- at the end I'm, of that. I'm scared now, but anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that a little later. We sure will. Um, yeah, I think this movie it's a it's a fun movie, especially because you know we I don't think we would be doing this podcast if it weren't for Marvel. Yeah, like I think this podcast really only makes sense in a post MCU verse mm. i'm talking about the real verse like the re- irl whatever earl can we do the earl verse that's bad is it bad the earl verse uh, yeah i mean i'm just saying like we're watching movies there's a the, there's pre mcu and now we're in the mcu verse but that's like it's hard to describe. I think you're finding the most complicated way to talk about this idea. Living in a world where, in, like in a post-Endgame world, Marvel successfully told a decade-long story over 23 films that made the idea of a sequel or a franchise expansion like a critical part of a larger objective, not just a cash-in or some sort of frivolous attempt to bring back characters. Is I think what you're trying to talk about. That's what I was trying to say. So yeah. in a movie like this, like the, the, the bed is seated for all kinds of stories. And yet, you know, the door's wide open. I, I haven't. I don't know if I've seen Blade Two. If I have, it was a long time ago. Yeah, um, and I think what this also this was obviously pre uh, Batman, the Nolan trilogy. This is like this is in the era probably of like the shitty Batman movies and like bad comic book movies. This is fresh off of the Bruckheimer Batman and Robin and yeah. Batman Return, not which, Batman Returns, Batman uh, Forever. Excuse me. Which was those are all still sort of like goofy there's big costumes they like this i always thought that like 
uh, the Dark Knight trilogy was sort of when comic book movies got dark and serious. But I'm going to take it back. I think Blade is like really kicking off a serious approach to making a comic book movie. And, you know, I don't do research very often, so I'm probably wrong again. But uh, this is my new stance. Okay, sure. Just st- stand by it. Yeah. It can't hurt, right? Um, yeah, I mean, so we're talking about this is uh, Batman Forever came out in 95. So, you know, it's funny because people talk a lot about, you know, the gritty superhero movie. And yeah. I, I think it's a fascinating subgenre of, of... So my favorite superhero movie is Logan by James Mangold. I think it's a heartbreaking movie about a man who's lived a life of unbelievable violence, reckoning with that and confronting that and confronting with his mortality and the idea of being a father. And it's unbelievably violent. But, it, you know, again, all that serves to tell this story about this man who's, who's not just like a perpetrator of violence, but someone who is like you know, soaked in a kind of pain that is inexplicable or mm-hmm. in, in, uh, unexplainable. That's the same thing as inexplicable. It's explicable because, but he was doing all the killing, so it's, it is explicable. He's he feels bad because he's done all the killing. Okay, but the pain he feels unexplainable. I don't understand. What's it? Is there a difference between inexplicable and unexplained? Yeah, I guess you're right. Slight, there's a slight difference. Wow, Ooh, I just felt it. Yeah, when I right? tried to say the second word, I was like, Ooh, that's different. Are you high right now? Yeah, I feel like the something has changed over the course of this viewing. Yeah. I think that your soul has left your body. No, I feel comfortable. This you feel is com- good? This is comfy you're Charles. You're comfies. Comfy pants. Comfy pants. Comfy shirts. Comfy shirts. Uh, um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, looking at, at this movie, this is a movie that could not exist in the MCU. Right. In addition to predating it, it's like a language all onto itself. It, it reminds me a lot more of, because we're talking about a classic 90s action movie, there's Shades of Man, there's Shades of Bay, there's like... Oh, the, you, the really yeah. intense colors, like the, the 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 blues, the yeah, heavy blues of the movie, blue. and then the deep reds that offset it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of these vast chambers or like tight strobe light lit, you know, techno clubs with blood raining from the ceilings. It it, it what what this reminds me of is like it reminds me of like Metal Gear Solid or Resident Evil. Yeah, no, I was thinking especially the the heroin villain as you call him. Like that's like fucking class. I don't know the guy's name, but the guy who made Resident Evil. That's like you'd see that dude in any video game he makes. Like very thin, gaunt guy with cool hair, who's like swaggers around. You don't really know why he's so scary. He doesn't seem to have any powers, but then like he becomes this like super powerful thing at the end of the video game. What's that guy's name? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We'll keep it a mystery. We may never know. Wow. Well, and also it's it's soaked in that '90s paranoia of. You know, I love this movie. They're like the cops are bought off by the vampires. Yeah. All cops are bad. All cops are bad. And like, and, and all of society is complicit. These vampires, and it's cool because there's like, there's like two visions of the vampires. There's this idea of like a secretive elite who uses banking and the control of the government to perpetuate their existence quietly behind this thin veil. Mm-hmm. And then there's Stephen Dorff, who's the you know who's a turned vampire, like a, which they you know not a, pl- a pure blood. Yeah, a muggle. And, he, and he's just like he's a muggle. He's a muggle. Well, no, no, he's no, like, no, he's, he's, no, he's what, a mudblood. Hermione. He's a mudblood. Yeah, mudblood. Oh god, wait, is Hermione mudblood? That's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and if Stephen Dorff was in the house, uh, he'd have to be house Slytherin. You think so? Yeah, I think he's, too obvious. Snaky eyes, snaky eyes. I think he might be, might be Gryffindor. No, that's crazy. The really the only difference between Gryffindor and Slytherin is one of them is bad, right? And he goes to sub basements to summon gods up. So that's definitely some Slytherin. There's shit. some like they're otherwise like they're completely you can't tell them apart. They're indistinguishable, yeah. but one mm-hmm. of them bad. I told Allison that I refuse to. I'm not, we're not going to get married until we clear our houses on a BuzzFeed quiz together. Clear your houses? Like, like if, you know, if she turns out, I, I imagine like a Hufflepuff marrying like a Ravenclaw. It's disgusting. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend knows that I feel this way. Good. Yeah. What do you, it's like, look, what, look, this is, I'm having fun you're right now. figure out what the houses is? I'm having fun right now, but before we get real, we got to get through this BuzzFeed so quiz you, together. So you, you think Pottermore is the one to go with? Or do you... Oh, I love Pottermore. Okay, so you're, you're, you think Pottermore is the one. Well, I mean, it's a great resource, and I think that, you know, it's great. It's beautiful that that J.K. Rowling, let's just sidebar. If J.K. Rowling wrote Blade, it would be oh so God, baller. It would be so cool. He'd go to vampire school. Sure. And have all kinds of wacky classes. Yeah, and glasses? Fun. Yeah. And or glasses. He, well, both, really. Yeah, I mean, he wore cool glasses in this one, but he probably have some goofy glasses with a little tape on it. These glasses are sick, because we're living in a post-Uncut Gems era where Sandler wearing the <laughs> shades to the nightclub is like the look of 2019. We've talked about the shades in the club. Right. The yeah. shades in the club are huge. I think this movie is a very shades in the club movie. Oh, my God, yeah. Th- that should be a film series, our shades in the club series. Yeah, shades in the club. Right, shades in the club, shades, shades in the club. That's what we'd be playing in the club when we wear shades in the club. Right, so but so Stephen Dorff's vision of like, you know, his like mixed blood turned vampires this like sexual party animal drugged out loves fucking house music something I learned that's amazing is that they try to get the prodigy to do the score for this and it didn't work out but like that would have been the peak 90s shit if it was like this movie with a score by the prodigy yeah or like Apex Twins or whatever. Oh my God, it's, it's just Twin, but yeah, yeah I know. I, I realized that as soon as I said it. Yeah, but it's on. It's on tape. But we're going to get this to people. So now yeah, you're fucking humiliated. I'm gonna edit out. I'm going to keep this in. Earlier, Charles said Apex Twins. I'm going to edit that out. Good luck. Apex. Twins. Um. So th- I'm saying this is like a. I love this so fucking much. It's it's, it's all that like you know post Cold War paranoia, you know. Like, remember in the 90s when uh, Alex Jones was in The Waking Life? Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, what a charming crank. I know. Isn't that crazy? What a fun crank that guy is. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's weird to think that Linklater was just like, he used him in a couple, because he was also in, uh, he was in Waking Life. Is he in Slacker? Yeah, he's in Slacker, yeah. too. Yeah. There we go. So, like, he's just like, this, like this, this kook around Austin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. But it's great, because you know, there's a lot of vampire movies, and, you know, certainly. There sure are, Josh. Thanks for pointing that out. Fuck you. No, I'm being. Thank you so much. There's so many. You freaking welcome. You welcome. <laughs> we. I don't know if we're ever into the Twilight movies. I know we've talked about it. We are. We are. Don't the calendar, man. Oh, you can't fuck with the calendar. Don't give it away. Uh-huh. We're doing Twilight. We're doing but Twilight. We could give them the rest of the year. I don't give a fuck. It's funny because this this movie does have like that like prurient sexuality that's key to all vampire movies, but it's so tortured and fucked up. And I think one mm. of the best twists in the movie and uh. Spoilers ahead, good listener. All right, give it some time. Pause. Wait, you're going to pause it and maybe consider whether you want to have spoilers for Blade. I would say go watch Blade straight up. I know, like you, like many people, you probably woke up in the morning. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Rubbed one out. I don't know. Maybe. Do you think some people, like some like kids hear the term "rub one out" and like just like rub their dick with their hand or like not just something? their dick? I know you can rub like, anything. Yeah, hey, yeah. No, I'm just saying. For me, take that one to the bank. Which bank? I don't know, the Life Bank. Um, Gringotts. I want to, I want to talk Take about it to Gringotts where the Jews work. <laughs> no. They're goblins, man. Sucks. They look, yeah. Just like imagine like. Muddy grubbing large nosed little goblins. Bobby. She's a monster. There's no Jews at. Grabbing. There's no mention of Hanukkah just during like fucking Christmas time at beautiful, like perfect Aryan, horrible Hogwarts. Uh, right on the dick. Anyways, you may have just woken up and turned on this podcast. I highly recommend I you go so. see the movie Blade. Yeah. It is so fucking cool. Me, I've seen the opening scene because the blood. Unless there's another movie that has blood coming out of fire, the fire stuff. That is, I mean, that is the iconic representation. I'm pretty sure of that. I've seen the scene for some reason. But I'm sure people were like, "You got to." I may have shown it to you at some point. Maybe it's like one of the, my favorite opening. The, it goes from his mother's traumatic nightmare birth. Yeah. <laughs> into that, it is such an incredible opening. 
It's so good. So but yes, so no, I'm getting back to the haunting violence of the sexuality. Great. Because later in the movie, we find out mommy's alive and she fucking Deacon. She fucking Stephen Frost. Yeah. She's fucking him. And 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 basically, you know, tells Blake, look, I'm your mother's dead. I inhabit the shell of her body, and I'm about to fucking get all up in that face. But then later, she's like, "But I'm your mother. How it's can, and how can you fight your mother? It's so that's what I crazy. so I don't even want to talk about it now. We could yeah, let's talk about it now. What I love about this movie is this subtlety. This movie is a fun adventure. It's scary. It's big. It's uh. There's a lot of profanity, which is like surprise. I don't know. We haven't really watched a movie that just like have people. That's a very '90s thing. People just saying like "fuck" all the time. You don't really hear that anymore. I don't know, but it's like it's a it's a movie. We have like it's you can trace the arcs, all these characters. You believe in everything, and yet the climactic "what the fuck"? Wesley Snipes merely mouths, which is amazing. Yeah, when, when he chops door from so half sick. and he gets connected back by the blood, and she goes, "What? Perfect. So cool." What I liked about it was. Um, you have the two, I think the two main characters are uh, Blade and Dr. Dr. Karen Jansen. Jansen. And watching them go through, so like we're introduced to Blade as a baby, watching his mother die. And, and by the way, all this Baby Yoda business, Baby Blade. Baby Blade. Baby Blade. Baby Blade. Oh my God, the game is Bay based Blade. on this? It is, yeah. I gotta play it again. Go ahead. Uh, you're, so she's, uh, he's introduced as losing his mother in the beginning. And she's introduced as coming out of a relationship with some twerp. Cliff? Clay? He sucks. Yeah, he sucks. And like, oh, Come on, you thought about us? I give you a break. Yeah. <laughs> what a break. Yeah, so when people want a break, they just really just want to come back. But also, don't date someone you work with. That's like 101. Oh, 101. That shit's awkward. Oh my God, don't do it. Don't even fuck someone you work with. It's okay, I guess. Yeah. But I would just avoid workplace. No drama. Don't shit where you eat. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know the story that the two cows criticized her? No. Uh, so there's a, a young cow and an older cow. So is it a joke? It's more like a life lesson. Okay. Great. The young cow. Is it a Cohen? You might think it, uh, it's more of a midrash. Okay. Um, the two cows are standing over. Two bulls. Sorry. It's two bulls. They're standing over. Well, midrash is Jewish. They're standing. Oh, they could be a Cohen. They could be Buddhist bulls. Yeah. They're standing over. You know, a field full of cows, and the younger bull turns to the other bull and goes, "Hey, let's run down there and fuck us a cow." Really? And the wow, older bull. And the old start. Sh- fuck, man. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. Just go. And the younger bull goes. Let's walk down and fuck all of them. <laughs> Robert good. Duvall says it to Sean Penn in Colors, the Dennis Hopper film. Oh. Good ass movie. Good ass movie. Not a franchise. We're not going to cover it. Sure. Okay. Right. But go ahead. You're saying. You're saying. Yes, yes, yes. Threatening you with it. Not going to cover it. it. We're not going to cover it. Don't worry about it. it. But go see Colors. Great movie. All right. It has uh, the most uncomfortable sex scene in a movie ever. Great. I love those. Yeah. It's just those Sean really Penn good. robotically railing someone, and it's really uncomfortable. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, what? Where's We're talking about Dr. Jansen. Sure. She's dating a twerp. Oh, yeah. He's a twerp. He's a fucking twerp. No good. So what I, I like, and then, so you have those two, and then you have uh, the main bad guy. And what's cool is that all three of these stories are about people attempting to break free from their pasts. And I think the most successful is Dr. Jansen. Jensen? Jansen. Jansen. As Dr. she Karen actually. Jansen. The confrontation with Clay or whatever is not forced. It's like a really nice little moment where you get to see her, like, because she's she, in the first scene. She go, she goes back. She's like, "All right, I'll help you out with this body, but please don't talk about a relationship. I don't want to talk to you about that." First thing he does is fucking brings it up. It's like, what a fucking asshole! But she doesn't get a moment to. He gets bitten. She thinks he's dead, and it's cool that they brought it back as this like little moment where she has this 
very physical way to break free of this thing that's been a part of her life. Right. To, to provide a little contact to the listener, Deacon Frost, as he builds up to the climax of the film, where he summons the blood god to inhabit his body and take over the world to enslave humanity, which he views as cattle to the vampires. He, he throws her into a pit and he's like, the fucking piece of shit down there will eat goddamn anything. He fucking sucks. He's like seriously a twerp. He eats rats. Eats corpses. He eats vampires. Goats. He's gross as fuck. He eats vamps. And it's goddamn Cliff or Clay or whatever. He's throwing his stupid scrubs. He yeah. sucks. He's got fucking bones coming out of his he's face. Like, he's, and then he repeats his line from earlier. He's, mm-hmm. You still think about us or whatever? It, and she's like, fuck you. And, and it's like so quick. He's like, yeah. He doesn't even really put up a fight. She just gets to end it. Yeah. In the same way that Blade gets to end it. And in the same way that, like, so it's. I think that's what is cool about this movie is it's not simple. Like, Blades has to confront his mother and that past the same way that... What's the bad guy's name? Deacon Frost. Do you watch these things? Just, they come in, they go out. It's so strange. Names don't mean anything to me. It's genuinely strange. Where Frost also has to confront his past, which is having been turned rather than being born a vampire. And it just comes up very, like, for a movie, for thematic movie elements, nonchalantly. And... He, the closure on most of the stories is incomplete, but you sort of feel the arc anyway. It's like, it's a very well done movie where the themes are almost not even really mentioned or even, it's like they, they just lived in the movie. It's like the writer was like, I want to write a story. And somehow these little things came through and bubbled up. It's very cool. Yeah. There's, there's, it's a deeply human movie. Yeah. And I think like often people in, in today's conversation around superhero movies, usually lament how maudlin or or sort of like cheesy a lot of those things are, how broadly telegraphed some of these emotional things or or messages are. And, and as you said, this is a... Blade is not a good guy. He doesn't... Oh. He's not like a cool, generous... He's funny, but he's trying to make only himself laugh. He's <laughs> trying to exterminate vampires only as an act of vengeance against you know his own pain and, and the loss of his mother his presumed loss of his mother yeah and you know, there's that incredible scene where Stephen Dorff confronts him in in outside in the park with the little girl yeah and and one there's, there's so much baked into this movie it, it's it's an LA movie made in the 90s you have Stephen Dorff calling Wesley Simpson Uncle Tom mm-hmm. you have this like bone pale psychopath talking about <laughs> race like su- racial supremacy of vampires yeah the the whole thing it's it's deeply coded in the racial tension of the nineties. But it doesn't yeah, it just feels like it was born from the era, not that the screenwriter and the director are like, Oh, let's make sure to talk about these ideas. Right. And that's the They're beauty of this so, movie. Like, it's a real included. story about real things, but it's it one doesn't draw attention to them in a way that, that feels cheap. And two, there's no posturing here it's it's just a very grim reflection of like urban life in the 90s that like it just happens to be heightened to the point of vampires but anyways so Stephen Dorff is like holding this little girl hostage and and he's like you're not gonna shoot me Blade I'll kill the little girl and Blade's like you're probably gonna kill her anyways and just starts fucking blasting at him and the, like there's all yeah. this shit where it's like Blade really is he's almost unlikable in a way which I think is so daring because like while he's badass and coded in all the ways that we've come to expect an action hero to behave he really is you know earlier in the film Dr. Jansen says my mother used to say a cold heart is a dead heart yeah and that's like I want to talk about his relationship with Whistler the great Chris Christopherson, who, when we meet him, is listening to fucking CCR and welding, which is the fucking yeah. coolest way to introduce anyone yeah. ever. Yeah, and then he comes over, helps out, and then just goes right back to, he pops the tape back on and goes back to doing what he was doing. And how prepared touch. is Whistler? How prepared is Whistler? How prepared? 
Where's he hiding that gun? Oh, in the fucking lights. In the fucking dangling fluorescent light, he whips a shotgun out, and it's genuinely surprising. The most giant shotgun. It's too. so cool. He's the He's coolest great. whistler forever. But I think that's, I think that's what Blade like the little moment where she tells him that a cold heart is a dead heart. I think he does love Whistler, and the moment where he helps him kill himself is not something that he does lightly. He almost doesn't do it. He wants to save him. But he sees what has to be done, and he's like, "This is what his life is." Well, and also critically, there's no scene where he talks about Whistler. Mm. Whistler tells Jansen about their relationship. Like, I met him when he was 13, when he was like, a, you know, a totally rapid vampire. I almost killed him before I realized he was a daywalker, you know, a hybrid species. And, and when we hear that background, and we see Snipes respond, we, we see it in how, in, in this unspoken, incredible, stoic way that he deals with Whistler's death. And there's no scene where he's like. Whistler was like a father. Like the shit we've come to like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Th- he doesn't do that. It no. doesn't, you know, there's a cool moment where I forget sort of what people are saying, but there's a, like the quickest of cuts to the like sheet being put back over Whistler's face to like really signify what, like he's, what he's doing, what he's feeling, what he's thinking about. It's a really nice, tiny little like jarring cut. And then of course, earlier in the movie, when he sees Dr. Jansen on the floor of the hospital after mm-hmm. Donnell Logue's character, Quinn, has leapt up in his fucking crispy, charred tuxedo of burned flesh to, yeah. to bite her, and he sees flashes of his mother. Like, yeah. And it's... rather than like burden us with some god awful I mean, like I'm not even saying an atrocity like a like a like a like a voiceover or something, but like there aren't these scenes where it's like back in the hospital and I saw you there on the floor, you reminded me of your mother. Right. And I'm like, you're a fucking movie, you're a fucking comic book movie. You're allowed to to put in panels. And this movie uh-huh. employs that in a way that doesn't feel like it's not the arch wildness of like a Tim Burton Batman or something like that. It's just like a very like it, it employs that kind of storytelling like a comic book in a very casual, smooth way that doesn't like rattle the realism of the movie. Yeah. It's I want, really honestly, an accomplishment. I wonder if Nolan was, because Nolan does that, the quick flashback, like the micro flashback, the last two seconds. Well, and eyes wide shut, friggin' Dr. Bill can't stop thinking about that naval officer railing his wife. Oh my God. Well, that's. He's always thinking about that. That's all he thinks about. Yeah. Gabang, gabang, gabang. Bango, bango, bang. We didn't talk about Chris Bierk, uh, Craig Bierko's uh, Tom Cruise impression at the end of Scary Movie 4. Yeah. Five? That's four. He's in yeah, because we've watched the end of four. <laughs> this podcast has ruined us. Yeah. We have partners and jobs and, and other yeah. interests. But this is our main interest. Yeah. Talking about Craig Bierko and uh, yeah, Tom my, Cruise. my close personal friend, Craig Bierko. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Do you miss Craig? Kind of. Do you like <laughs> keep in do. touch or do you like that sort of no. trail off? If I could track him down for the podcast, could we do a special episode? Mm-hmm. Okay, just food for thought. Yeah, I'll put it behind the paywall. Yeah, the non-existent paywall. Yeah. Um, no, the paywall is as real as the ice wall that circles the flat earth. Thank and will, you. And do not DM Wait, me. I don't know if, what you mean. You might be being sarcastic and saying they're both not real. Hmm. I'll have to think about that. Please do. Um, this podcast- Can I DM you? To f- no. Yeah. Well, you yeah? have my number. You have my personal number. Drop okay. me the personal line. A personal line? Yeah. All right. Um, right. So yeah, I think something that makes this movie really incredible is Stephen Dorff's performance as Deacon Frost is fantastic. Oh, yeah. There's so much going on with him. And again, much like Snipes, there isn't some really fucking dumbass scene where he's like clearly explicating the, the tension of his existence. Yeah. Things are told to him and he responds to those things. And I think that's something that's really interesting because again, in a lot of movies, when we think about the Joker phenomenon, in our culture. What's that? We're, we're that isolated, alienated... stairs? Joker stares forever. When isolated, alienated people hear these monologues about being othered, 
yeah. and appropriate them for their own pain. That's sort of like this kind of vengeance pornography for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. In this movie, which I think is brilliant, the people who are being othered have that hurled at them and respond to it. So it's not like they're creating this own, they're not creating a narrative. They're responding to a real thing that is really happening. Yeah, and he honestly, like you can tell he's it's a part of who he is and what he has to think about. But his acting is really great and you almost believe that he doesn't care. But then there's like little moments where you know that he does. But like most of the time, he's just like, fuck you, old windbag. Doesn't matter if you're pure blood or not. Well, he's such a fascinating guy because like when you think about Snipes again for a minute, when he's locked in that tomb towards the end, that shot of just like his his mouth and nose through Mm. the hole. And you're like, what is he thinking? Yeah. And it's captivating. Yeah, you really get in there. And And mouth acting is hard. Ask Tom Hardy. That's true. Tom Hardy is Bane? Well, he acts around his mouth being covered. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's the opposite. Yeah. I, I think like we should I, ask I think somebody I, else. Uh, yeah, I think I made a mistake. I think I made a mistake there. Ask Michael Keaton as there Batmans. Yeah, there we go. Or Christian Bale. As Batmans. Robert Pattinson. Mostly as just, Batmans. Just Batmans. Val Kilmer. As Batmans. Well, I mean, what, so the moment ben where Ben Affleck. He... As Batmans. Yeah, let's ask them all. George Clooney as Batmans. Adam Lewis as Batmans. <laughs> There's been a lot of Batmans. Too many Batmans. Jesus Christ. I've left out of Thank God it's only been pure white blood. Yeah. Playing Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Thank God, God that we kept to that. It's what, so important. What year do you think, <laughs> if ever, you think it's just ever, never going to happen? I think the psychotic fascists in our culture would actively blow gaskets if like the-, the Gaskets, you say? Like yeah, it's like internal or external gasket. No, I think it would be like the anime forehead exploding, uh, like pulsing vein situation. Yeah, you ever seen a? There's a, a Seth Green is on Grey's Anatomy. And I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, but I, I saw one episode where he has like the bit is that his character has like a vein growing on the outside of his neck or something, Ugh. and it blows in the middle of because they do this Jesus. great scene. Just like, oh, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. Funny. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh, <laughs> uh, I one scene that like. Sort of the complexity of Dorf, you say? Stephen Dorf. I swear to God. I'm going to write this down. Stephen Dorf's character. You forgot? You really? No, no, Frost. Oh, thank you. I just want to, I want, in this case, I want to mention Hone in the, on the actor. actor. Okay, please, yeah. Very cool. Continue, please, please. Uh, when he's going to blow up the old man vampire, mm. and he's like, oh, it's so nice to, to like, when was the last time you watched a good sunset? Oh, I guess you haven't. Sunrise. You Sorry, sunrise, because you're a fucking pureblood and you've never seen it. And in the, in that moment, it seems very gloaty, like, I've done these things you haven't. But on the other hand, it's sort of lamenting a past that he no longer has. Like, he's a vampire in the same way that Blade is sort of a vampire, where they have, like, Blade doesn't have, he has he doesn't have the past, but he has, like, the heritage of a human. And then Dwarf's character has an actual history as being a human. And they're sort of like, that's the confrontation, is where they're trying to find balance between this new persona that they have to do and this ideal of, or like a old version of themselves that they are constantly reminded of. Well, they're living as their own ghosts yeah. in this like weird half-life of immortality that does feel like a curse. Yeah. It's fascinating. And like the hedonism of the vampires makes more sense in that way. Like of these two, the idea of these guys, you know, hanging out in ice cold chambers for thousands of years versus like, no, like I'm a living dead man. Yeah, I, wanna... I was killed. Oh, fuck, I'm fucked up. I want to party and do ketamine. Yeah, I like Dorf throws some good sniffing in there. You know, my guy's been fucking hanging out with some of that white. Yeah, <laughs> what up? Yeah, but I, I think at the end of the day, there's no message. There's no takeaway. 
And that's why it's great. It's just a, it's a very human movie uh, about vampires. Right. There, there's no moralizing. You see, like, believable characters behave in a manner that makes sense and happens to involve martial arts and swords. Mm-hmm. And it's sick. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about a few things in the movie. One is, I guess the most obvious thing to talk about in 2020 is the effects. Because for a movie made in 1998, you can see the moments where they're straining a little bit to achieve things that do look a little threadbare. At in in flashes, yeah. but by and large, it's kind of extraordinary what they get away with that works in this movie. Yeah, and I think maybe the Matrix just is more talked about because it was one year later, so pretty soon after. But like, honestly, is significantly more crazy and interesting. But that's I'm just gonna mention that because this does do very similar things. There's bullet time. There's there's sort of sort of bullet time. That's what I was like. It's proto bullet time. There's it's. I think it just was maybe a year too early, and mm. I just sort of think like, I wonder what could, they could have done like ninety nine or two thousand. But it doesn't matter because it still it really works. Well, I wonder. I wonder if like some of the the, the racial coding and politics of the movie made it harder to be as accepted. I mean, it did well, but like the Matrix, I think doesn't really address those questions, or it doesn't. It doesn't present like a tortured black man living in L.A coping with like a world of like violent supremacy yeah. and questions about his past and, and a war with cops. Right. And when, yeah. when Dorf was like, you're an animal, you're like, a, like yeah. it's, it's really you're a maniac. It's, really it's impossible to separate that from, you know, America, America at large, but certainly LA in the nineties, like those, yeah. those, so, so I mean, there is this like burning political subtext to it that the matrix doesn't have as direct as, as specifically. I think, yeah, with the matrix, does is it has a well i guess keanu i think most people especially in the 90s probably just like took him as being a white american but i mean we're also talking about a guy who like wesley snipes has had a really fascinating racially coded career like in demolition man that's a pretty fucked up movie i I love that movie but like it's also like this insane black man burning down la like it's really pretty like the cynicism is it's very hard to watch that and not be like this is pretty fucked up. Yeah, and then Keanu literally is Johnny Utah, and and like and yeah. certainly as someone who who passes as white in our culture, I think coming into the Matrix, it's it, you know he's fucking you know Bill and Ted, right? He's, he's really coming into that idea from a very different place for two very similar movies made incredibly close to each other. I think he enters it as as much less ambiguous figure. Yeah, when Snipes has played villains. And 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 played heroes. It's a t- different different cultural figure. Yeah, I think it, it makes it much less mm, political in a lot of ways. It's much more like just generally punk, generally reactive, generally like tear shit down, fight against the system. Well, it's also funny because as as the Matrix would evolve and become this like really elaborate treatise on like you know morality and religion and like and 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 this movie is definitely not that. It no. definitely is a deeply sweaty, gross human movie about like identity and survival in a, in a world where you're the ultimate outsider. Yeah, and I think it, it is nice that they do mention like oh the vampires like control cops, control like vampirism. They have offshore accounts. Yeah, it's I like, love it. It's, I know, obviously, like, pre-Occupy Wall Street, pre a lot of these, like, ideas of wealth being the, like, big problem in this country. But to basically have, like, this group of the super rich vampires controlling the entire world, um, it sort of puts, like, a outsider version of, like, Wesley Snipes' character as, 
like fighting against this whole system. It becomes it still becomes like a, a political system movie, but it's so like just like tiny. Do you think Mike Bloomberg is a vampire? Uh, yeah. He vibes like it. He fucking... Here, let me see. As a Jew, I'm always a little suspect about like these shadowy elite movies. <laughs> they make me uncomfortable in that regard. Yeah. Because I'm like, you know, I've, I of course have entered the fray making a Mike Bloomberg joke, but like I'm always worried about that. Side yeah. note. So this is so interesting thing about this movie. It's written by uh, David S. Goyer, who yeah, the, what did who, he do? One, he wrote all three of these movies. Yeah, and he also wrote the pilot for the TV show, which I'm curious if we might want to watch it. I'm I'll, I'm on board for that. Yeah, that sounds great. So that's actually we haven't really talked about that. That's a, a kind of a weirdly comforting thing to go into the series knowing. Certainly after yeah. a couple of series we've been through, the idea of some continuity is nice. The same year this came out, Dark City came out, which he, he wrote, also wrote. Mm, interesting. And another movie where it's like a gothic urban noir yeah. set in a dystopian future where there's a shadowy elite who are very vampire e. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's like this this whole zone of the late 90s cyberpunky dystopian is so rich and interesting. And I love Dark City. That movie fucking slaps. Yeah, that was like one of my first DVDs that I got. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Shell Beach, what is it? Shell Beach? Shell. Oh, the where the like the the fantastical yeah, end of the rainbow. I got to watch it again. Really I haven't good. honestly seen it since I watched it on DVD. Uh it stars the great Rufus Sewell. Who's that? Rufus Sewell? Yeah. He's in The Illusionist. Which the which one? The Ed Norton movie with Paul Giamatti. Oh, not the animated movie about He's Jack, an Jack Tati. Oh, ter- that was terrible. What was terrible? The Illusionist? I was trying to, honestly, I kind of yes, did very like bad, bad movie. movie. Yeah. They're like, it was all magic, but also it was literally magic, but also a trick. And you're like, this is stupid. Wait, Pick what? a side. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Pick a side. Pick a side already. Be like fucking Blade. Yeah, get <laughs> he off He picked a side. Fence. He did. He killed his fucking mom. Um, I love Pearl, the massively obese, nightmare, uh, archival lord. Yeah. What a fucking great character. Yeah. All the crackling, charred flesh in this is so cool. Can you imagine being told, like, all right, we need to make a giant, like, puddle of blubber. And we're going to fucking burn it. We're going to burn the fuck gonna make the it the UV rays. fucking so burn. Cool. You have to make, make different versions of Pearl. It's also such a good gear movie. Do you think Pearl, the actor who plays Pearl, still has that? And sometimes, <laughs> like, gets like keeps it in bed and, like, just gets swaddled in his Pearl suit? Big nips. Big nips. Those are nips for the size of saucers. Dinner plates, I say. Dinner plates. Yeah. I want to find out who played Pearl, because that's a great question. Yeah. Oh, so Nothing. good. This is their only only role. So we're talking about Chris Christopherson, who serves as sort of like the father figure mentor cue, all wrapped into one, mm-hmm. played by the great Chris Christopherson. I think it's a great performance. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. We were talking like, you know, maybe uh, Disney's going to get a Jack, wait, Kurt Russell. Oh, Kurt Russell as that character or, would be so uh, sick. Or Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. I think Bridges maybe. I don't know. I like Jeff Bridges, but I think I'd, I'll take Kurt any day of the week. I think they would both bring something, and they're very different, but they both have like the same hair. Yeah. And that's basically it. They just have the same hair. But I think Kurt would bring more of a obstinate energy, where Jeff Bridges would bring more of a, like a, a soothing energy. They both could work. <laughs> it's good to dream. Yeah. Eric Edwards has been in 69 movies. Whoa! Yibbity, 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 yo! It's a recurring <laughs> Wait, character. There's the Pearl verse outside of this. He's uh, he's a working actor, which I'll save generously. He's had a, he's been all over the place. He's been an American Dad. Nine episodes of that. Good cool. for you. That's Pearl. Be, get that Seth MacFarlane money. Can't hurt. Take uh, it. He was on Parks and Rec for an episode. I'm Pearl. skipping over a lot yeah. of stuff. He was in. Uh, what I was interesting is that he's also in. I'm going to scroll down. Uh, not just Rugrats and Beverly Hillbillies. 
bets. Good stuff. It's good stuff. Good content we're making good right here, Josh. Reading things uh, on his phone. That's that's part of the the magic of. Oh, he's in Candyman. We were all going. For- Another good nineties movie. Wow. In Candyman, right. you seen Candyman? It's a good ass movie. I think so. Candyman. Are there more? There's more than one, right? Candyman. I think I might have seen it at a friend's house when I was a kid. Candyman. Candyman. Yeah. Um, we talked a lot about how much we like the 3D rendering in this movie, where uh, Stephen Dorff is at one point turns down sex to to continue staring at his laptop decoding vampiric texts in a ma- and showing a diagram of a massive vault that we later get to see a sword fight in. Yeah. Do you think that was like so? We see that. 3D render. Do you think it was just so expensive to make that that they're just like, let's show it a few times? Well, one, I, I think worth. there's that whole culture of of the 90s of having shit on monitors and having yeah, diagrams. That's true. That's it, I think that's another reason why the Matrix was so successful. Like tapped into that at the right time and fucking did it to extremes. Yeah, they're like, we're gonna show you the fucking code, motherfucker. Yeah, everything's like gonna shit? be on monitors. Yeah, like this movie, we we would like for you to not see it in theaters. We hope that you watch it on a monitor. Right. <laughs> this is best seen as a scrolling text. <laughs> yeah, on a. On a you know, t- like a uh, fuck. I was gonna make a resolution joke, but I yeah, forgot fucked that. it up. I forgot the resolution. Well, it also it also underscores the the like you know Metal Gear Resident Evil's thing of like coming across shit on little monitors, which mm-hmm. I love. So two That's other actors true, yeah. were considered for for Blade. Who do you think they were? I'll give you a hint. It's the mid '90s when this is being developed, so it is, shouldn't be that hard. Mm. Who are the three working black actors who are not Samuel L. Jackson in the 1990s? I'll give you a hint. One of them is in the Matrix. Oh, uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, Larry the Fish was considered for Blade, which I think would have been a mistake. I think so too. He doesn't quite have the. He's perfect as Morpheus. I like Larry to be really empathetic, yeah. and you need to have that ice no. cold exterior, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. which Snipes is like like a weapon. He's like a finally he he's as sharp a blade as the friggin' katana he wields. That's and the other point. actor was Denzel Washington, yeah. who. I actually watching the movie was thinking about Denzel doing some of this, and it would I think you know he would have done a lot of cool stuff with this. But at the end of the I day, think it is the right choice. Yeah, he's clearly the right he choice. He brought a great energy. I think he it it was like you could sort of feel the the smallest of influences by like earlier like eighties and nineties comic book movies where it's like a little bit goofy, tiny bit, tiny bit goofy. He well, brings well, Blade has fun a little flair doing the shit that he does. Yeah. There's that great shot where which is again total comic book shit where, you know, all the bad guys like surround him in in the in, in the the weird techno club and he just flashes a grin and holds up his like crazy blade thing. Yeah. And it it just it's... feels like this like character defining like he's having a little bit of fun with right. this. Right. But it's not like this you know the the goofy anarchic fun of like a Joker man. It's just it's like clearly he's throwing in a smirk for himself in the middle of this carnage. Yeah, I think the movie that this reminded me of a lot uh, was Twenty Eight Days Later. Hmm. In some ways, where you have like a main character that's trying to be good, but down deep has like elements of badness, and when he has to use it, doesn't hold back and doesn't fight it. He just becomes this elemental part of himself. And like the ending in Twenty Days Later is so good, and it's sort of like that when he when he finally feeds, and like when he pops up and he's fucking back, like that was like oh wow, this is like sort of this is like what's his name Murphy when he gets to Ch- 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 Chilean Murphy yeah when he takes his shirt off and just runs around killing people at the end yeah. of Twenty Eight Days Later it's like yeah this is what he was born to do yeah he's not fighting it he's embracing himself and what's yeah. more beautiful than that that was a good scene that like that cross cutting between. Him and his mom, and and then feeding, and then like the stuff going down on the fucking weird shit in the basement. 
you're so awful at describing movies. It's like really incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Deacon Frost is carrying out the thing where he he kills all of the vampire elders who turn into weird bone skeleton winged creatures. And be- I'm so and- there is detail there. I was like, wait, are these the skulls of the people? No, you saw the little creatures pop the skull. Like their skulls pop the bigger skulls of wow. the vampires. That's detail. That's CGI. That was hard to do back then. <laughs> this so- sounds like a Biden stump speech. <laughs> and a little skeleton pop out of sk- like back in the old day. Couldn't do it. No. Couldn't do it. You just have to uh, work with one one head. Corn one Pop was a bad dude. Corn Pop. Um, for president. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Biden Corn Pop? Do, I would, well, but, oh, that's, my God. That's what I've been waiting that's for the this ticket. whole time. That's the ticket. That's Biden the ticket. Um, no, no. So, so Snipes, again, you know. Is that what that's it, the ticket means? That's the ticket. It's sort of like you know, what we've been waiting for where he's like, I need my serum. And by the way, I'm naming a band Essence of Garlic because that shit's so cool. He goes to the like cool That's Afrofuturist like, herbalist shop and buys his that, – that exchange is so great. Yeah. Like, the, there's so much wordless or mostly wordless exchanges with people in this movie that, that it tells a whole story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. But yeah, Dr. Jansen's like, look, I don't have the serum. You got to fucking drink my goddamn blood. Yeah. And they basically fuck. They, we finally yeah. get a scene where it's like a deeply erotic thing of like thrusting and yeah, gasping and moaning. Like three times. And, and when he finally is done feeding, he goes, Aah! Yeah. Which yeah. fellas know, that's the noise you make when it happens. <laughs> yeah, what happens? Anyways, uh, so yeah, that, 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 we, we, we get that moment where like Blade finally like feeds and fucks and is ready to fucking lay it down. Yeah. And I've read there was in the original cut of the movie, there is no final sword fight and Stephen Dorff is a blood tornado or something. Hell yeah. Which oh, I think you can see, that. you can see yeah. in the DVDs. But, uh, Wait, what, how did he defeat him? I have no idea. I have not seen it. They probably either. got to that. I was like, wait, how's, that, how's this going to work? I will say this. They strained the CGI at the time about as far as it could go. I, it's very hard to imagine the more conceptual ending of this being as satisfying as what we get. I, I love that we like get the full the Total Recall CG. style yeah. swelling and exploding. It reminded me of both Total Recall and uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. In which people get all swole and, and pop. Pop, pop, pop. I also, I, I mean, honestly, the... I, I like when he gets cut in half and like torso flies up and this like weird fake CGI blood like brings him back down. It looks really cool. I think we're at the point where I'm a more appreciative of older CGI where like they had to fight against it. They couldn't just like get a bunch of people in a room and make it look so shiny and pretty. It was like, how the fuck are we going to get this to work? Well, I think in a post John Favreau Lion King where it's, it's like you're going to like exert so much effort to create a photorealistic CGI model to make it this lifeless, weird, uncanny valley nightmare. Mm-hmm. When the representational quality of not entirely successful effects that from the past are like, no, they're telling a story. Of course this isn't real. I don't need it to look photorealistic. I understand the story it's telling me because I'm watching a fucking movie. Yeah, and I think that's it works in things like Blade where the blood bringing it back together isn't a huge part of the scene. But whereas something like Alien 3 or even like fucking scary movie four where like the main thing that you're looking starring at starring craig Bierko. your friend sorry craig i should have mentioned craig that Mason. you're a good friend a couple craigs on that or like the monsters craigs. blowing shit up and like the alien chasing you like when the thing itself that's supposed to be confrontational looks fake you're like eh but like when those like just sort of like superfluous background special effects look fake it's actually sort of like whoa this is cool this is like not this doesn't look real but that's fine I was reading about, I just rewatched The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Anderson talks about, you know, there's a lot of matte and background, like a lot of, and, and he was like, I, I want the audience to mm-hmm. revel in the artifice. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to convince you these are real places. Right. 
And I love that. And it I works. Think, yeah. And that's, that's why fiction, you know, we've talked about this before, like when you try to make fiction too real, for me, it's like I don't want it anymore. I need that artifice. I need to know that I'm watching a movie for things like thematic elements about confronting your past, becoming somebody else. Well, then we're talking about this. We we brought up earlier living in you know living in the MCU era to look at movies. I think about the Raimi take on Spider Man versus the Tom Holland you know Far From Home etc. Mm-hmm. Homecoming era, where you know Raimi really leans into you're watching a fucking movie. Yeah. And, and it's it, it's crazy to watch these two representations of the same story. It's like really genuinely bizarre, because Raimi everything is the biggest swing ever, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's weird to see again this like this is so much of a better movie than Spider Man. It's unbelievable. Then Spider Man, which one? What Sam Raimi Spider Man. Yeah. Saying, oh, Blade. Of, of just the MCU pre pre MCU Marvel films. Yeah. This is again. I, I think I said this earlier. This and Logan are like maybe tied for my favorite comic book movies because they they tell stories about violence in a way that's heightened but not a cartoon and in a way that's human but not moralizing. Yeah. And I think honestly this is like almost more subtle in a lot of ways than Logan. I love Logan. It's way more subtle than Logan. I yeah, love Logan but But Logan yeah. like sort of leans into its themes of yeah. like like Patrick Stort 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 Patrick Stort uh Patty Stort, Stort. Like he's just sort of Patty Stort. Hi, he's he's just sort of there to remind you, Logan. What the 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 poor thing that like the struggles of being Logan. What if they made Logan two and it was Logan Roy from Succession and and Wolverine just hanging out? We're just gonna have to wait and find out. And it was Logan squared, two Logans, two Logans, Logan Roy. But yeah, this is like as I said earlier, it's like it has things that you can think about, but honestly, it barely cares about them. It's really interested in showing you something, uh, making you watch that movie. I admire that. Yeah, it takes itself seriously, but not in like a joyless way. It's a fun movie, but also really like demanding at the same time. It's just cool. It's such a fine line to yeah. walk, and, and it I does it. It's nothing like Primer in a lot of ways, but I think I sort of that's why Primer is so good because you get caught up in the story, but down deep, like you can really feel both of these characters doing something, and you don't really even know what, but you sort of feel this what the, emotionally they're going through while they're doing this like convoluted story. And I think because we don't see this as an origin story, because we start in, you know, essentially in media, when Blade proper shows up, he's in full fucking Blade mode. Yeah. And I think that's the confidence of this movie where it's like, we're going to show you this guy at the height of his powers and then work our way backwards from that. And I think that kind of to trust an audience to keep up with you, to not sort of spoon feed that I think is really awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, we talk about franchising a common criticism of a lot of the MCU is that you often get the same version of an origin story right. told over and over and over again. And at a certain point, it's like, you know, you start to wonder, like, well, why do we need the same? We sort of, well, I like Captain Marvel, for example. I may be in the minority here. I like Captain Marvel because they don't do that. Yeah. So they try to tell an origin story in a weirder, more convoluted, backwards way, which I thought was daring and interesting. Yeah. No, I think. That, that movie's not a, for me, it's not a failure. I just thought, I, I'd have to watch it again to tell you why I didn't really like it. But I just, it didn't feel quite there. But that that's good. And like, that's why the new Spider-Man's the best. The Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, you we don't, especially Spider-Man, we don't want to watch another fucking origin story. You start in, you barely, like, you only know about it because of the other movies. 
But Tom Holland's great, and he just he's Spider Man. Well, then you have the Garfield movies, which lean into his oh, parents so hard. Yeah, and you're like, who the fuck wants that? Nobody wants that. Okay, so we're getting towards the, end of the episode Andrew here. Garfield. Right, don't yeah, get me wrong; he's a very handsome person. But I don't want that. Okay, so let's talk about one thing before we get to the big question, which again you may have blown. The gas is back in. Back gas is back. 2020, baby, the gas is back. Where did it go? So, okay, the possibly apocryphal tale that I've heard bandied about podcast to podcast, much like I imagine in the 17th century, a pamphlet calling out the heresies of Maximilian of Bavaria. Um, the story is, is that after Marshal Ali won either his first or second Oscar, he like called Kevin Feige and was like, I want to be Blade. I'm cashing in my actor blank check. If you're going to do Blade, let it be me. So... I heard that too. With that in mind, we're now watching the series where Blade is now, and the remake has been announced. It's happening. Yeah, it's with 2022. Double Academy Award winner Marshala Ali. That's wild that he's won two in such a short period of time. Well, I mean, first off, who doesn't love a little moonlight? And secondly, you got to open the book. Oh, the green book. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good stuff. I'm going to open the book. So are you excited about it? I'm, I'm thrilled. That's t- 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 the idea of a really relaxed confident Marshal Ali being like, oh, I'm going to fucking do this. Yeah. It's like you don't, if that story has an ounce of, cred, of you know credibility to it, it sounds like he's like, I have for the last 22 years desperately wanted to play Blade. That's, yeah, and it's cool. It's like cool to think of superhero movies which have been completely dominated by white culture and to like grow up with that. And it's like, it's, it's one of the, it points out to why it's so important to have diversity and all this stuff in culture and filmmaking because it's just like, it just is so expansive. It's rather than, it doesn't narrow it down. It, it just gives voices to so many different things. And this is like a cool, subtle movie from the end of the 90s that works in every way. Yeah, there's so much baked into to Blade that makes it so rich and fascinating. And, you know, he has a unique story that's unlike most other superheroes. Yeah, and the racial subtext of it is really good it like really works it's sort of complicated it's not really talked about too much but it's like it's a part of the movie and it's it it's powerful yeah. and you worry and i can see why ali would want yeah. to be like all right this is this is what i want to do this is like i don't know i'm probably imagining but like this is a probably a big movie from his childhood or whatever and or whatever this came out for him and it's cool to be like this is what i want i yeah. want to i want to be this role i am a little i'm interested in how they're going to approach that element of the movie in the 2020s Marvel mold. That's I think it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, I would. I I think. I think everything's gonna be much tamer. Well, again, you know, this is it's a really violent movie. Yeah, and it's and, so cool. And as I said, they say fuck a lot. They say fuck a lot. Do you think they're gonna yeah. say fuck? I mean, I think it'd be cool if they like got to that point in the MCU where they could make these. I, I don't want to be demeaning. Like Blade is not an A or maybe even B rank hero in the traditional understanding of the Marvel Universe at this point. And much in this, literally has not been included in the last Right. He decade. feels like yeah. all the Sony ones, like yeah. Morbius and Venom and all these things that like, no one really gives a shit about. Right, but he's getting bumped up to like, this is right. an MCU. He's so in. Navigating that, where the freedom of the Sony-verse gives us Logan, which is like, yeah, you know how cool it is when, when Wolverine treads people up? It's fucking nauseating. It's awful. It's really upsetting. Um, and so I, I wonder that really that tortured part of Blade, the restraint that he shows, the the, the story his face alone tells. Anyways, I'm going off on a tangent. Here. No, this is a great tangent. Yeah. This is what this is the this is the problem living in a post MCU when Disney fucking runs the world, 
we don't get this shit anymore. I don't think that the new blade's going to be nearly as good. It's gonna, probably going to be fun, but I'm 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 also I'm concerned. It's going to be a PG thirteen, and I think you need an R to tell the story. It's certainly hard to imagine a less toothy version of this because <laughs> of the teeth of the yeah, vampire's yeah. heads. Yeah. Um, I like are, you ripped out those teeth. Are you asking, or on part one of a, of a trilogy here, are you currently asking, when will it end, Charles? It's a hard question. Sure is. Knowing what I know now. That's the problem. A brush with perfection does make that question oddly more complicated. You don't need another one. This is like, if this were television, this would be like a perfect first season. And then they're like, oh, well, let's make another one what do we? Sh- what should it be about? And like, and then you'd have to like recreate the magic, mm. and then we know a fucking dumbass is in charge of trying to recreate the magic. Yeah, if, if you're a, a, a new listener, uh, The Shape of Water is a movie that we both truly despise. And I know that prior to that, you had been a hater for a long time, but I liked Hellboy. Um, it's bad. I haven't rewatched it. I can't, I, I don't want to. Everything he does is bad. Okay, he, he fucks bad. Everything he does is bad. <laughs> you know Guillermo be fucking though. Yeah, but he fucks bad. All right, he fucks bad. He fucks. He's a bad fuck. Yeah. Anyways, so it's yeah. I I he's hear you. You're saying knowing fuck. that Guillermo is taking over for for part two is yeah. uh, it's a red flag. But David Goyer's back, so the same. So maybe the foundation will still be as solid. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not asking it. I'm worried. Mm. I think this is like a variation of when will it end. I'm not, I, I don't want it to end, but now I'm concerned that it's going to get ruined. I think we have to go into Blade 2 with, with an open heart. I, I, I don't yeah. want to go into this being like General Del Toro. Mind? Yes, that as well. Everything open. Open anus? All doors. Um, It's your couch. So, you know. It's brown. Ah, fine. Let's do it. Fuck it. Wide open. Um... I am similarly not asking when will it end. This movie ends with such a delightful bit of frosting on the frosting on the frosting, where we get the little sequel wink, where we we you know we we cut away and, and we're in Russia and a vampire is about to fuck up some broad in Russia and and Blade's like Dosvidanya, motherfucker. He doesn't yeah. say that, but he, it's essentially basically says yeah, and it's fucking sick. And you're like, uh, Blade fucks up Moscow, tight. Yeah, fucking Russian bots. You better run. You can run. You can't hide. What uh, is it with these Russians? They're always meddling. The meddling was bad. Hey, man, I just want to give you a little hint. We're meddling, too. Hold on. What? We're meddling, wicked, too. Wicked, what? Um, I'm not asking when will it end. I am really excited for Blade 2. I'm really excited about this trilogy. I, I Again, I don't I don't know if I've seen Blade 2. I feel like it feels like I must have at some point, yeah. but like it, it doesn't ring any bells right now. So I'm, I'm with bated breath. Wait, it came out in 2000 and. Let me Wait, double 2000? check. Uh, I'll have to take a peek at the old list of movies. Yeah, because like... Take us down to movie town. I think... Where the movies... Franchising is so... Like, Disney's Heaven. planned out. They, it comes out in phases. They know, like, for the next six years, these movies are going to come out. I feel like this, this is very different, especially like, you know... Yeah, four years later. Okay, so this is a big gap. This was like... You could tell they well, probably want to do a sequel, but... We talked about the M word earlier. And so, you know, this coming Wait, out... You said the M word earlier? The M word. edit that out? Matrix. Oh, okay. I thought you... The fact that like this this comes out a breath before the defining action movie of the decade and of the next decade. Right. So the idea I wonder of, like, if that, like, created that gap. Like, oh, we can't do a Blade Two post-Matrix. I mean, I, I think there's no way anyone making a high-budget action movie with this kind of effects work is not 
taking a step back. I mean, obviously, plenty of fucking movies came out in that window. But yes, it's sort of like it's weird that this came out just on the precipice of this jump, this huge leap forward. And now we're going to see the sequel very much in the shadow of another franchise that redefined an entire genre. Well, how about this? How about it? I'm going to make a suggestion to both of us. Please. We can do a little research for next episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Read about the production of Blade 2 over dinner. That sounds delicious. And uh, all you folks listening at home, drink water, breathe deep, and remember, Blade's coming for you. <laughs> he's going to fucking what? stab you to death. No, he's not. He's going to beat you and then stab you. And maybe he'll shoot you with a gun. Fuck. He's got fucking silver stakes. He doesn't care. He's coming. He's coming for you. So I don't know. Breathe deep, meditate, but he's going to kill you. You can't hunt. You can't run. Oh, the three M's really quickly. Metallurgy, meditation, murdering vampires. Thanks, that's the show. 